Hi, welcome to Missouri Made, the podcast that gives you an insider look at Missouri politics. I'm State Representative Deb Lavender, representing District 90, Kirkwood-Glendale area of the St. Louis County. Today is April 10th, and would like to welcome back Representative Judy Morgan from District 24 in the Kansas City area. Last time we met was, goodness, I'll bet you two months ago, and we talked about education. I'm glad to be back. Thank you, I'm glad to have you too. Today we're going to talk about closed primaries and initiative petitions. We're gonna start with closed primaries. And so last week we heard a bill, which was really a merger of two, House Bill 26 and House Bill 922, that were merged together into one product. Go ahead and start telling us a little bit about what that bill does. Sure. First off, I love being on the elections committee. Though this came, both of these bills came through that committee. It's a very interesting committee to be on. I'm learning a lot. So you know, right now when you go to the to the ballot box in August, you get to pick whether you take a Democratic ballot, Republican ballot, Constitution, Green, Libertarian, or if you really don't want to vote for candidates, you can take a ballot measure where you just vote on the ballot measures. And now these are primary. These are primaries. These are primaries. Right? So that's that's how that's how it is now. This would drastically change how we do our primaries. And what it would do is everyone, every voter would have to declare a party. See so would you declare whether you're a Democrat, Republican, etc., or you would be an unaffiliated voter. So then when you go to the polls, you will actually, you will, you, you, you know, now you can go into the polls and say, I want a Democratic ballot, or maybe next time you want a Republican ballot, you will only get the ballot you registered for. And, and not just registered for, registered for at least 23 weeks prior to the primary election. Yes, and that is uh, actually before anyone even knows who the candidates are who are running because that would put it sometime probably in late February or Mm -hmm. early March and we do not finish candidate filing until the fourth Tuesday in March so you would not even know who you were who you were voting for or who who the candidates were but my major concern with the well several concerns I believe we have more and more independent voters that don't necessarily um, affiliate or consider themselves part of a party. You know, you and I definitely consider ourselves part of the Democratic Party, and yes. all of us in this building are, are partisan. You know, yes. we are. Not everybody is like us. Right. And so they are, and I think we're getting more and more independent kind of people. They don't necessarily see themselves as Democrat or Republican, and they do change, you know, who they want to vote for depending on the the. the uh, you know, the particular election, depending upon the candidate. Maybe a Democrat came and knocked on their door that really impressed them, and they thought, I like this person, I'm going to vote Democratic this time because I want to vote for this person, or maybe it's a Republican. So people change, and I think they should have the right to be able to go into that poll and say which particular party they want to vote with in that primary. But the, the unaffiliated voters... If they don't declare a candidacy, if you don't vote, I'm I'm sorry, not candidacy, if you do not declare a party, you are automatically thrown into this unaffiliated category. So you show up at the polls in August, all of a sudden you're told you don't get to vote for any candidates. Right. All you vote for are the ballot measures. Yep. So that's... And I think our voters are smart. So I know if we just historically look at the last several elections... 
two years ago in the primary for governor on the Republican side, we had four candidates. We had pretty much one candidate right. on the Democratic side. Right. We had several candidates for the attorney general on the Republican ballot. We had a couple on the Republican ballot for, I think, Secretary of State. The only issue really undecided on the Democrat ballot was the vice, uh, the, the lieutenant governor. I had people come and say, well, obviously this year the Republican primary is of more value to me than the Democrat primary is. I want to be able to help participate in the selection of who a Republican candidate is going to be, so I'm going to pull a Republican ballot this year. And it's as you're saying, they're much more independent voters. They hadn't decided necessarily how they were going to vote in November, but they wanted to participate in that process. And another, uh, I think, phenomena that happens, uh, one of our legislative assistants uh, said this to me. He says, you know, he's a Democrat. He does, you know, feel like he's a Democrat. But he lives in a very Republican area. So he said to me, Judy, you know, if I want to have any say-so in the primary, uh, I have to vote in the Republican primary because, unfortunately, the Democrats probably not going to win. I might vote for that Democrat in November, Mm -hmm. but they're not going to win. If I want to have some kind of voice in who my representative is going to be, if I vote in that Republican primary, that gives me a voice, Mm -hmm. and I will vote for the person that I think I most would like to see represent me. Right. So I think that's another issue. Now I'll tell you something else that really surprised me during the hearing on this particular bill. We had county clerks come down and they, they primarily testified for information only, but they actually had just some very, very, um, no actually I think they testified against it. I, take, I think some of them did testify against it. Um, but they had some very interesting information, and many of the county clerks said that the voters, are, from 2016 to 2018, they saw a much higher degree of hostility among the voters at the polls in 2018 than they did in 2016. And one, one county clerk started off you know, saying that, and then several others said it, and then I asked some of the others, is this, and every one of them said yes. We have more hostility in 18 than we did in 16, and they were concerned if you throw this close primary on top of that and you tell people they come to the polls and they think, I'm going to be able to pick a a candidate ballot, and all of a sudden you're told, no, you're only going to get to be an unaffiliated voter. How angry people will be. They will be angry, and the county clerks brought that up in the committee hearing. I've always thought it was terrific almost a sense of pride in Missouri, we do not register as a party. Mm -hmm. You register as a voter. And when you and I um, are working and knocking doors, and I know you knocked on doors for your campaigns, I've knocked on doors for my campaign. You knocked a lot. (laughs) We did. But you don't know who the voter is from a party affiliation point of view. So I might knock on your door, and you might be the best Democrat ever, and I knock on your door and I give you my spiel, but I don't know until I knock on that door, are you going to vote for me or not vote for me? Because you have not registered as a Democrat. Mm-hmm. So right. it, I'm going to see, I'm going to use the word forces. I'm not sure that's a strong word. It encourages me to knock on a lot of doors in my district. Mm-hmm. And now I meet not just the Democrats, I meet the people who are independent, I meet the swing voters, 
and I meet the Republicans. Mm -hmm. And I'm happy to meet all of the voters because now that I have won, I've been successful, I'm here, I truly consider I represent all of my district, mm -hmm. not just the do, ones. And you do it well. Well, thank you, but not just the ones who voted for me. So I've always thought of that as a sense of pride that we don't have people's parties affiliations when we register. I think it gives us a chance to represent our districts better. And to have to declare your party in order to vote in a primary, I think further limits the pool of people, the pool of people that we have voting Definitely. right now. I also want to say another issue that concerns me, the, the, the sponsors of the bill were very clear in that they thought a party is a club, and that's what they called it, a club. Mm -hmm. And they said that when you're in a club, you should only have those people in your club who uh, adhere to the, the, the philosophy and the values of that club. And so only those people should be able to vote in the primary. Wow. That is what they're That's thinking. That's interesting. Yes. And so I countered with that, you know, I see the Democratic Party as a big tent, mm -hmm. and we take in a lot of different viewpoints. And so I don't think, when I'm thinking of voting, I am not thinking about being a member of a club. I am thinking about the voter picking you know, the person that they think is the best for the yeah. job. Now, obviously, the values and goals and, you know, ideas of that particular candidate matter, but that That's should be the voter that gets to decide that, Agreed. I think. Agreed. And then we'll wrap this piece up, but one, one last thing I think of, and then if you have something else still, too, is the way we would determine, if, if this were to bill to pass, the way that will determine your selection of a party will be how you vote in the presidential primary in 2020. Yes, and if you if you don't vote, you're thrown into that unaffiliated category. No. If you happen to show up and you don't want to register, you're thrown into that unaffiliated category. But thereafter, the only way you get to change is, again, like you said, if you register uh, 20, 23, 23 weeks 23, ahead. I think it's 23. Yeah, 23 it, weeks before the primary yeah. in the even-numbered years yeah. when we have primaries. And again, kind of the same thing for me. This year, the Democrat presidential primary, we know there's already, you know, it's starting to be kind of funny how many people are running. I think we're up literally in the neighborhood of 30 people who have declared they're running for president. Yeah, it's kind and of crazy. So, it is a little crazy, and I, I think it's pretty cool Yeah. how many people are raising their hand to say, okay, and by the time we get to February of 2020, we won't have that many still on the ballot, mm -hmm. but an awful lot of people are going to want to go to the polls to pick who that Democrat candidate will be, right. and, and that's going to be independent. And it's likely to be some people who feel they're Republican at heart right. that want to help pick who that Democratic right. candidate is. I don't know why we should put barriers on then what that selection means for you in the future. I think you and I agree, very much agree on that. But I do think we need to say also, not all people in the Republican Party support this. And we saw that on the floor during debate. True. And in fact, I think it was Representative Solon who was very strong and said something like, our side would not look the way it does if we had a closed primary. Yeah. And so, you know, it has not been brought up for the third read vote yet, because as we know, it has to have 82 votes. It did not get 82 votes during the uh, perfection, perfection yep. right. So 
I'm not sure where it's at, but it, but I do think that there are some Republicans who agree with us on this issue. I think you're right. Well, good. All right, well, then let's swing over. There's also been a tremendous amount of legislation filed on initiative petitions. Mm -hmm. And let me set the stage here a little bit. So uh, what I know is a lot of the Republicans in our area, uh, in the House, in the Senate, and even the governor, have talked about the clean petition or the clean amendment that passed in November by 62% of the vote. Mm -hmm. I still got an email today from somebody that said 1,493,000 people voted for this, please leave it alone. Mm -hmm. But from the governor down to the speaker pro tem, or speaker, no, I'm sorry, the president of the Senate to the speaker of the House have all come out and said that Missourians didn't know what they were doing when they voted for clean. They thought it was a bill, uh, um, gift banned. They thought it was a, what was the other? Contribution. A contribution limit. And that's all they knew. They didn't know that it was going to also redistrict our state. And, and I know I had people giddy with delight that this ballot initiative was going to finally be able to take out the partisan politics of gerrymandering our state. Right. And so for you know officials in our state to tell us that voters didn't know what they were doing, I, I think is just silly. And why don't you tell us a little bit of what you know there have been 10 different measures filed well, for changing the initiative ballot process? Yes, we we, uh, we heard a number. I think we ended up hearing seven bills over uh, like a, a morning and then an evening session the same day. And they had all kinds of different stuff that would have made it more burdensome in terms of the initiative and referendum petitions. And the final bill, which was a House committee bill, House committee bill 10 that came out, did um, limit the damage, but it still uh, will be burdensome in terms of getting signatures. So some of the stuff that was out there were things like requiring filing fees for each petition from $350 to $500 ranging. One was a really burdensome one that would have mandated a 40 cent per signature charge to be assessed to the people who were gathering the petitions if you had any paid circulators. So if you had even one paid circulator, mm. and most petition gatherers do have do some. end up paying some, people. Some yep. of them have a lot of grassroots volunteers, right. but they almost everybody has some paid. Some have a lot, but right. some have, almost every everybody has some. And what that would have cost would have been $40,000 for statutory measures and $64,000 for constitutional amendments. That that petition, wow. for one petition, just to file with the state of Missouri yes. to be able to collect signatures for your petition. Right. That was one of the ideas. Yeah. Uh, another one would be like right now, you know, we need a majority to actually uh, pass the measures. Mm -hmm. This would have changed it to two-thirds. It would have mm -hmm. raised it to two-thirds. And that's substantial. So where, oh my gosh, we, yes. where we say that clean Missouri passed by 62%, two-thirds is 66%. Right. The only one that would have made it was the Prop A, the anti-right to work, because it had 67%. Yeah. But the others were from 60 to, to so 62. So the minimum wage would have been underneath was, that? Yes. The medical marijuana would have been underneath that? All of those passed, mm -hmm. what we would say, very easily right. in November. Right. So if the new measure goes into place that you need two-thirds, none of those would have passed. That's right. Yeah. 
another one would have been increasing the number of signatures required to place the measure on the ballot. Uh, and another one would have been, you know, like right now you have to get signatures in six of the eight congressional districts. Yes. One of them would have required them in all, all congressional eight. districts. One of them would have required them in all 163 legislative districts. Wow. And one of them would have required them in three-fifths of all counties. And it's, two, it's two-thirds now. I don't know okay. if I said it right to begin with, okay. but it's two-thirds. Now, that being said, the bill that finally came out of the committee, which has passed out of committee but, not, but has not come onto the floor yet, and I don't know if it's gone to rules yet or not. Okay. But it would have had the filing fees of $350. It would have had a $25 extra charge for any petition over 10 pages. Now, I will say a lot of petitions are not over 10 pages. Right, right. And it would have, and this is a good thing, it would have set up a standardized form that would have been in an, in an electronic format so people could actually get the petitions over the, you know, the website rather than having to go pick up a physical. Oh, good. Yeah. So that was one good thing, but that is what it ended up being was the, was the $350 and then that $25 fee for every page over 10 pages. You know, I, I voted no. And they no. did not include any increase in number of signatures mm-hmm. or locations that they needed to get them by or even uh, what it needs to pass by. Correct. All right. Correct. Um, now, that doesn't mean it might not change. Right. It can still change process. on the floor. Right. But um, I still, both of the Democrats, there's only, it's a very small committee, the Elections Committee. There's five Republicans and two Democrats. The two Democrats did vote no. Um, I still feel it's burdensome. Um, we ha- we had several of the witnesses, you know, who said, really, we have very strong language in our Constitution on the right of the people to to initiative petitions. We have very strong language, and so I don't think even a th- I think even a three hundred and fifty dollar fee, although it certainly is, um, you have to say it's a lot better than some of this other stuff. Right. I mean, there's no doubt about that. Right. That's why I say it did kind of limit the damage. Right. But I think that um, as Democrats, we feel like it's still burdensome, and there should not be a, yeah. a fee. I was at an event today with some leaders from the St. Louis area in a program called Focus St. Louis and some of my Republican colleagues were there and they felt that Missouri being one of 14 or 15 states that had initiative petitions that that wasn't very many perhaps we shouldn't do that and we're actually elected Mm -hmm. to come over here and figure things out and we should be doing things you know we'll do the research and we'll figure the implications and we'll know what we're doing and so that we are the ones who should be able to put things on the uh, on the ballot, and so well, and I, we we actually can. I mean that is and we do. Yeah, yeah. But they felt that was the only process that it should right, work. Right. Right. And you should not let the people gather signatures. Right. And oh shoot, grassroots organizations, you know, come into Missouri that aren't really grassroots organizations that drop tens of millions of dollars to go around the will of the legislature. And I just, I find those arguments disingenuous, even if, and let's, let's say Rex Singfeld, a rich billionaire from St. Louis has gotten measures on our ballot over the last decade. And he has come in and he has decided what he wants to do and he has paid for it. Mm-hmm. But you know what? They still have to get the signatures to get it on the ballot. Mm-hmm. 
And so even if it is a rich top-down situation, it still comes down to a vote of the people. Mm -hmm. And we've certainly had initiatives that haven't passed. And we certainly have grassroots organizations that do work mm -hmm. from the bottom up oh, definitely. to be able to get these initiative petitions onto the ballot. You know, I would counter that somebody who says, you know, that should only be the legislature. Well, let's look at, like, you just gave the percentages for the, the things that passed on the ballot yeah. during August and November, you know, anti-right to work, clean Missouri ethics reform, medical marijuana, minimum wage, all four of those passed, like you said, with what with most of us would consider a landslide. 60% yes. is considered a landslide. Yes. So you tell me, if the people passed them by that much, we're not representing the will of the people because we have we have voted, I think, all of those things. Yeah. Well, the House did pass medical marijuana. I will say that. The House passed medical marijuana. Couldn't get through the Senate. Right. But, you know, we're the ones oh. who did right to work. Yeah. We have not done much in ethics reform, and we have done really terrible things to the minimum wage. I agree with and you. And yet the people said, no, this yeah. is what we want. And I think a true testimony to how smart our voters are was just this last November with the medical marijuana measures we had. We actually had three measures mm -hmm. on the ballot. Two were amendments and one was statute. Mm -hmm. They were all quite different. And I think as we waded through them ourselves, we all kind of picked one that we thought was best for the state, where the money went, how much it was taxed, who had, had control over it, who benefited from it. And people of this state looked at all three of those measures and they voted accordingly and I'm going to say the best measure won. And the, so I voted for it. <laughs> and, and the other two literally didn't, fa right. didn't pass. Right. And so how is that not a testimony to our state that people do know what they're doing? No, exactly. The gas tax that didn't pass, we put that on the ballot. But Judy, you know as well as I do, we put something on the ballot that was confusing. Mm -hmm. We It started out being a gold medal tax cut bill. Right. Wasn't that kind of done right at the end of session? Yes. We amended the, the, uh, the gas tax yes. onto that Olympic bill, Olympic and medal bill. And then we told people that it was to pay for highway patrol, and we didn't really tell them it was for the bridges. Mm -hmm. We said we're going to raise money for the highway patrol, and therefore the road fund didn't need to spend as much for highway patrol and we'd have more for bridges. I had people calling me up and calling us out. Mm -hmm. How dare you put something on the ballot that's so um, confusing? Did you mean to do this? You're mm -hmm. insulting us. People read those measures. They knew mm -hmm. what it said, and I think that's a big reason why it failed. That's interesting. <laughs> I hadn't even thought about that, but the one that the General Assembly put on the ballot yes. failed. Was the one that didn't And yeah. all the ones that yeah. the people put on the ballot uh, passed. Yeah. yeah, that's interesting too. <laughs> I had never thought of that. So good, good. The initiative petition bill that got out of committee sounds like you did a great job on minimizing the um, punitive bills that had been filed and have at least a measure we could probably live with if it even passes. I do want to just add, it was interesting, um, on the on the really, really burdensome, you know, all those things I went through, the really burdensome things, it was interesting that it was both more progressive folks and conservative folks that 
were not in favor of them. Uh, Woody Kozad and Woody Kozad and Carl Bearden, who are both, uh, I would say, more conservative folks, um, testified against the more burdensome ones. Now they did testify in favor when it got down to the three hundred and fifty dollars, the final mm-hmm. House Committee bill that was more limit. They did testify in favor then, but when we had all the really massive burdensome things, and they they were. In fact, I think it might have been Carl. Bearden, who talked about how the Constitution was so strong in terms of nice. the initiative petition of the nice. people. So, um, so I'm not, I, I'm not absolutely sure that the majority party would like to run on a very restrictive initiative petition taking away the rights of the people. Right, I think so too. So, well, I, I can't thank you enough well, for coming thank back you. Thank and you for visiting me. with us. Good. And I appreciate your being here again today. And okay. thank you all to who listen. And we'll get back to you with another podcast next week. Please subscribe to the podcast. We'll have a new episode each week. Follow me on Facebook and on Twitter at Deb Lavender. We'll have a website for you where you can find all of our episodes, videos from the Capitol, and more. Thank you for listening.